I'm Joanne Ozug, and you are listening to The Road to Carnivore, episode 12. This episode is part one of a two-episode discussion on dietary fat, the fat that you eat. You've heard me say a few times in the podcast that the saturated animal fats that are so often vilified are actually the healthiest fats you can eat. And these two episodes are where we're finally going to dig into this. Fat is a really challenging topic for our brains to fairly examine because of how pervasive and ingrained the narratives on fat are. There are so many old beliefs like that eating fat will make you fat or that eating cholesterol raises cholesterol in the blood that have been disproved over and over again in trials and in the scientific literature. But these fears still remain because dogma in nutrition is huge. And it can be very hard for these beliefs to change because they've been institutionalized in government agencies and their dietary recommendations. So many people are afraid of animal fats, and I was too. I understand it can be hard to believe that animal fats are not only okay to eat, but the best fats of all, because it's the opposite of what we've heard repeated again and again for our whole lives. What I heard over and over again and adopted as true in fat is that olive oil is the healthiest fat. But I'm going to tell you in part two why I don't eat olive oil anymore and why you should question the health claims around olive oil. My hope for these two episodes is to give you a fresh look at fat. Fat is an extremely important nutrient and food, and it's so important to make sure that you're eating enough of it, and more importantly, eating the right kinds of fat. Most people have no idea just how much the type of fat you eat affects your health. A hundred years ago, virtually no one was consuming the inflammatory seed oils that are in everything today the soybean oil, corn oil, sunflower oil, and so on. It actually wasn't possible until recent mechanization. And if you look up photos of these facilities, they look like oil refineries. And it's an incredibly long and complicated process to manufacture these oils. We're going to talk in depth about these fats in part two, but many doctors and researchers believe that these inflammatory oils are the primary driver responsible for nearly all of the health problems people suffer from in modern society. They cause metabolic derangement, insulin resistance, they break down into hundreds of toxic compounds and aldehydes that alter DNA, cause genetic changes in the brain, cell damage, oxidative stress, and so much more. They are poisons that are extremely damaging to health, and it's so disturbing to me that the government still recommends these toxic fats as quote-unquote heart-healthy when they've not only been shown to cause heart failure specifically, but have also been demonstrated to damage every kind of tissue and system in the body. And that's why what we're going to first talk about is how all these lies about animal fats became nutritional dogma and were incorporated into governmental dietary guidelines. It's so important to hear the story of how animal fats and fat in general became thought of as unhealthy and why you hear all these anti-fat narratives. There are many players in the vilification of fat, but Ansel Keys is the man who started it all. Originally, he believed that eating cholesterol made cholesterol in the blood go up, And because saturated animal fats contain cholesterol, they were to blame and were inherently dangerous. In some ways, I understand why someone might think this. It follows the you-are-what-you-eat ideology that is so often parroted. But this is just not how it works in the body. And he eventually abandoned this idea because he found that no matter how much dietary cholesterol he fed subjects, the level in the blood didn't change or in some cases even went down. So he couldn't produce evidence to support this claim. 
What Keyes moved to next was presenting his diet heart hypothesis, saying that eating high amounts of fat, and especially saturated fat, was responsible for causing heart disease. Keyes traveled around the world promoting a graph that claimed to show a major correlation between dietary fat and heart disease. You can look at the graph in the show notes, but there are six countries plotted, and it looks like a perfect curve showing that eating more fat means higher rates of heart deaths. But it came out later that this graph was a lie. There were 22 countries with available data on fat consumption and heart disease, and Keyes cherry-picked six countries that he could string together to show a positive correlation. A small group of scientists who attended one of Keyes' presentations thought that his graph seemed suspicious since there were many examples of countries that ate a lot of fat but had low occurrences of heart disease, like Switzerland and France. So one of the scientists later published a chart plotting all 22 countries, and it showed that there was no correlation at all between dietary fat and heart disease. It was just a bunch of scattered dots. You can look at that chart in the show notes as well. These kinds of shenanigans and shady manipulation continue on for decades in the story of fat. It's endless examples of Keyes and others who shared his view insisting that fat was harmful simply because they were convinced it was true and spending tens of millions of dollars trying to prove it with study after study failing to produce evidence that supported their hypothesis. And there were many studies that were buried because they didn't produce the results that the researchers wanted. But what's really fascinating is a lot of this data has recently been located and published. One of the most incredible examples is the Minnesota coronary experiment. The intention of the study was to show that vegetable oils were beneficial for health, and it was one of the most rigorous and well-controlled studies ever done on heart health and vegetable oils and in any kind of nutritional science. It's actually really hard to do nutritional science and experiments in general because it's almost impossible to do a truly controlled experiment. A lot of it is people self-reporting in questionnaires, and there can be a lot of confounding variables. But this study was an actual controlled double-blind experiment, and they were able to do that because the subjects were mental hospital patients and nursing home patients. They were also able to make the fats look the same by using dye so that patients didn't know if they were getting butter or margarine. A few years ago, a man named Christopher Ramsden tracked down the unpublished raw data from this study. He found one of the now-deceased scientist's sons, and the son found the data in the basement. And what they found after analyzing the data is that there was a higher risk of death from the patients that consumed the vegetable oils, which was the opposite of what they were trying to prove. It's disturbing that this was withheld for so long and how much was withheld in the story. Given how exceptionally well this study was set up, this should be the highest standard of any scientific study in nutrition. And it showed that these inflammatory seed oils are harmful, but because it didn't give them the results they wanted, they buried it. It's a similar story for the Sydney Diet Heart Study, where previously missing data was recently recovered and reevaluated, and the group that had saturated fat replaced with vegetable oils had a much higher death rate. One of my favorite books in nutrition that really dives into all of the dishonesty around fat in nutrition is The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz. This is a highly revered book that she wrote after nine years of investigating the history of how misinformation around fat took hold. And I want to read you an excerpt that comes partway through the book after her discussion of Ansel Keys and his relentless promotion of the unproven hypothesis that saturated fat causes heart attacks and that vegetable oils were a healthier alternative. And she paints a picture of how it all got locked into conventional dogma. She says, Compelled by an urgent drive to cure heart disease, nutrition science had bowed to charismatic leaders. A hypothesis had taken center stage 
money poured in to test it, and the nutrition community embraced the idea. Soon there was very little room for debate. The United States had embarked upon a giant nutritional experiment to cut out meat, dairy, and dietary fat altogether, shifting calorie consumption over to grains, fruits, and vegetables. Saturated animal fats would be replaced with polyunsaturated vegetable oils. It was a new, untested diet, just an idea presented to Americans as the truth. Many years later, science started to show that this diet was not very healthy after all. But it was too late by then, since it had been national policy for decades already. The low-cholesterol diet became national policy not only because the American Heart Association and nutritionists enthusiastically endorsed it as a solution to heart disease, but even more importantly because the vast power of the U.S. government swung behind it. Starting in the late 1970s, Congress intervened in the question of what Americans ought to eat, and this involvement by government propelled the low-fat diet down a new path, taking it out of the realm of science and into the world of politics and government. For the previous 15 years, the research community, having endorsed an idea about diet and heart disease before it had been properly tested, had pretty much failed on its own terms. Whatever chance these experts might have had for self-correction was lost, however, when the federal government got involved. With its massive bureaucracies and obedient chains of command, Washington is the very opposite of the kind of place where skepticism, so essential to good science, can survive. When Congress adopted the diet-heart hypothesis, the idea gained ascendancy as an all-ruling, unassailable dogma. And from this point on, there has been virtually no turning back. What's so disheartening is Nina shares tons of examples in her book of scientists and researchers pushing back against this unproven hypothesis and voicing their concerns about the danger of these changes. And they were silenced over and over again. They were cut off from grants, scientific journals wouldn't publish them, they couldn't get promoted, and their careers basically ended. The history is truly astonishing, and I know for me, there was almost this naive disappointment. You just think or hope it would have been better than this. When opposing narratives are silenced or censored, that's really alarming. And that's what happened historically around fat. There have always been tons of historical examples of human groups around the world eating primarily fat and animal foods and having virtually no occurrence of obesity or chronic disease. But now we also have a ton of science showing that fat is an important food and nutrient for humans and that low-fat diets are not a good idea. I've linked to a report published by the Food and Agriculture Organization in 2008 where they reviewed all the scientific data around fat to make dietary recommendations. And in their conclusions and recommendations for total fat, they say, there is no probable or convincing evidence for significant effects of total dietary fats on coronary heart disease or cancers. Researchers from Harvard and Brigham and Women's Hospital also published a review in 2015 looking at 53 studies that had nearly 70,000 participants looking at the efficacy of a low-fat diet. And the leading researcher of the publication says, despite the pervasive dogma that one needs to cut fat from their diet in order to lose weight, the existing scientific evidence does not support low-fat diets over other dietary interventions for long-term weight loss. There are so many studies that show that low-fat is not effective for losing weight. When you lower fat, you have to increase carbs, and you already know from episodes 7 and 8 what carbs do to insulin. In addition to the many randomized clinical trials showing that low-fat doesn't help you lose weight, we also have lots of trials showing that high-fat, low-carb does help you lose weight while also improving other markers of health like metabolic markers. So this brings up the question, why are these outdated narratives around fat still so pervasive? 
And this is where it's important to be aware of the tremendous conflicts of interest that bias the narratives you hear. Money and industry profits are at stake, and companies absolutely put out marketing and propaganda to badmouth competitor products. There are endless examples of this. One of the most dramatic examples was the vilification of palm oil by the American Soybean Association. Palm oil was cutting into their market share and profits, so they launched a vicious marketing campaign against it, claiming that tropical fat can kill you. And eventually, all the processed snack companies were pressured into changing their product formulas from using healthy and stable saturated animal or plant fats to hydrogenated soybean oil with trans fat, which is extremely toxic and damaging to the body. The World Health Organization says that the consumption of industrially produced trans fats are estimated to cause around 500,000 deaths per year due to coronary heart disease. And what's interesting is the processed food companies didn't want to switch because it's nearly impossible to work with liquid vegetable oils in processed foods. They had to monkey around with these oils and eventually invented hydrogenation, which is a way of chemically altering the structure of these liquid oils so that they're solid at room temperature. And these fats have been so damaging that they are now illegal in the United States. Another example of marketing propaganda that was started and perpetuated by these vegetable oil manufacturers came in referring to foods like butter or lard as artery-clogging saturated fats. Think about how many times you've heard this. But this is another example where it's just not how it works in the body. Butter and lard do not clog your arteries. It's actually oxidized seed oils that have been shown to cause atherosclerosis, which is the buildup of plaques and fats in your arteries. And we'll talk more about that in part two. Another important thing to realize with the story of fat and with food in general is when negative findings in press come out about a certain ingredient or food, companies fund studies to try to counter those findings. And they typically do this by paying off reputable scientists at prestigious universities. I want to read you an excerpt from the Big Fat Surprise that discusses this. When a food company funds a university scientist, it expects to get results that will favor the company's product. Gerald McNeil, who directs research at the edible oils giant Loader's Crokeland, spelled this out for me. Let's say I'm a big margarine company and I want to make a health claim about my product, he explained. The company would look for one of nutrition's elite, a university professor who is well-connected at the AHA or NIH, and fund him or her to conduct a trial. Company scientists sometimes help academic researchers design study methods to assure positive outcomes, or at least no negative outcomes. You can be absolutely sure for $250,000 that you're going to get the results that you want, McNeil exclaims. And in fact, a number of reviews have shown that industry-funded trials are far more likely to have positive outcomes that favor industry compared to those without such funding. Big food also creates relationships with academic researchers by paying for their travel expenses to conferences as well as honoraria for speaking. Said McNeil, every company does it because if you don't play the game, you're out. Private companies have conflicts of interest for sure, but there's also been a ton of shadiness from government organizations. One of the best examples being the American Heart Association. They were launched with a $17 million donation from Procter & Gamble, who makes Crisco. And many people think this played a huge part in the AHA recommending vegetable oils for heart health early on, despite the fact that there were no trials showing whether or not it was safe. And in 1970, they started telling Americans to cut back on total fat and then began charging big money to put an American Heart Association heart-healthy checkmark on processed foods. Here's another quote from the Big Fat Surprise. AHA pamphlets told Americans to control their fat intake by increasing refined carbohydrate consumption. 
Choose snacks from other food groups such as low-fat cookies, low-fat crackers, unsalted pretzels, hard candy, gumdrops, sugar, syrup, honey, jam, jelly, marmalade, stated a 1995 AHA publication. In short, to avoid fat, people should eat sugar, the AHA advised. Later, many nutrition experts lamented the so-called snack wells phenomenon, referring to the fact that people seeking to be health-conscious by reducing fat would plow their way through bags of non-fat or low-fat cookies full of refined carbohydrates instead. We could not have foreseen this. It was industry that made these high-carb concentrated calories, Stamler told me, in a view that has been widely aired. Yet the AHA itself had clearly steered Americans and the food industry toward exactly that solution. The AHA even rode the profit wave of refined carbohydrates from the 1990s onward by charging a hefty fee for the privilege of putting the AHA's heart-healthy checkmark on products, with the label ending up on some dubious candidates, such as Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, Fruit Marshmallow Krispies, and Low-Fat Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Oh my word, I totally remember that as a kid. I used to eat that junk and totally thought I was doing a good job. Speaking of sugar, in the 1960s, many scientists began to believe that heart disease was related to sugar consumption, but they got drowned out. And it's been recently discovered that in the same decade, the sugar industry paid off scientists at Harvard to shift the focus and blame for heart disease from sugar to fat. I've linked to an article in the New York Times that talks about this and how unethical it was. There are endless shenanigans like this that have influenced the things we hear about food and nutrition. And it's so essential to meet the claims we see and hear with skepticism and a questioning eye. If you want to see an example of how data can be manipulated, I've linked to a write-up I really like by an MD named Ted Itan. That's called Saturated Fat in Meat is Not Associated with Cardiovascular Disease, How to Make It Look Like It Is. And you can see how some of this stuff is spun in a way that doesn't accurately reflect the data. There is so much science that disproves these outdated narratives around fat, but even still, it's really difficult for the norm to change. Nina Teicholz talks about how biased researchers writing articles against meat and animal fats can easily get published in peer-reviewed journals, and those findings get promoted by an equally biased media. And on the other side, the researchers who have run trials showing again and again how incredibly effective high-fat diets are for fighting heart disease, diabetes, and obesity are still frequently rejected. It's hard to get their research published in prestigious journals, and people are not receptive to their findings and research. Eric Westman is an MD at Duke University whose trials have showed that low-carb, high-fat is extremely effective for the treatment of diabetes and putting the disease into remission. I know so many diabetics who have done this on their own with ketogenic diets and are completely off all medications. But the American Diabetes Association still advises a low-fat diet because diabetics are at risk for heart disease and low-fat is still advised as the treatment for that. I've linked to an article that Eric Westman wrote that illuminates the dogma that is happening around nutrition and fat. And he says, When an unscientific fear of dietary fat pervades the culture so much that researchers who are on study sections that provide funding will not allow research into high-fat diets, this situation will not allow science to self-correct. A sort of scientific taboo is created because researchers will not submit requests for high-fat diet grants, and the funding agencies are off the hook because they say that researchers are not submitting requests for such grants. This is dogma right here, and this is what happens at the NIH and AHA. They decide fat is bad, then effectively don't allow it to be tested because it will harm people. 
There is so much more to the story of the politics and agendas around the slander of fat and how these narratives turned into nutritional dogma. And if you want to learn more about the history, I highly recommend reading The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz and digging into some of the video lectures and studies and resources I've linked to in the show notes. What I shared here was just a few highlights, the tip of the iceberg in the history. And I'm really glad that I did so much reading and learning on what happened because I was still somewhat averse to fat, even though I had done high-fat diets like keto and low-carb and Atkins. Anti-fat narratives had been ingrained into my brain since I was a kid, and I never even thought about the fact that I didn't know where those narratives came from. I just had heard it so many times and thought that I was supposed to eat low-fat to lose weight. And I probably should have known something was wrong because I struggled with my weight from middle school all the way up until I found carnivore. But really understanding the story of how fat's reputation got destroyed helped me throw out those narratives. The idea that fat is bad or that animal fat is bad doesn't seem to fit with the overall data. And at this point, it doesn't fit with my experience either and all the positive changes that have happened for my health, my weight, and my blood work. We shouldn't be afraid of fat. We need fat. Historically, humans were high-fat eaters, eating almost entirely saturated animal fats. These are the stable, nutrient-rich foods humans have been eating for most of our history. Continue on to part two, where we will dig into the science and specifics for the three main types of fat. We're going to dig into the nitty-gritty of how incredibly unhealthy and poisonous polyunsaturated fats are. These are the soybean oils and vegetable oils that most people are eating every day. We're also going to talk about why olive oil is not all it's cracked up to be and why animal fats are the best fats of all for health across the board. I'll see you there. <laughs> 